Welcome to Analyzing Finance with Nick. In today's video, I'm going to be talking about the economic future of Chile. But before we get into the future, I have to explain a little bit about the history of Chile. In most of Chile's history since Spanish colonization, it really kind of started as a very small autarkist backwater, which really the only trade was as a stopping point for ships sailing from either the eastern half of the U.S. or from Europe on their way from going through Cape Horn all the way to uh, the western coast of North America, whether in California or in Mexico. Uh, later, the Chilean economy became a hub of natural resource exports with the discovery of some of the world's biggest copper mines and also happens to be a major exporter of lithium as northern Chile is part of the lithium triangle. Chile's dependence on copper did not come without a cost. According to the League of Nations, and they did an analysis on this in the 1930s, Chile statistically was the country that got hit the hardest by the Great Depression because 80% of government revenue came from exports of copper and other raw materials. And even back to this day, Codelco is still responsible, which is the state-owned copper company, for up to 30% of government revenues, depending on the price of copper at a given, any given point. And so as a result, the, the value of the currency of Chile, the Chilean peso, and just the overall fortunes of the Chilean economy have historically been heavily dependent on the price of copper and the demand for copper. The rise of China was very fortuitous to Chile as the Chinese needed a lot of copper exports to build the wiring and a lot of the infrastructure for building up their cities on their path to urbanization. And the prospect of increased electricity demand around the world and the electrification of the global auto fleet and the need to build charging stations and electric batteries which both are heavily using lithium and copper make Chile an indirect winner of the modern electrification of cars because they are the leading, one of the leading exporters of both of those key commodities. Uh, so, however, Chile has since tried to strive to diversify its economy away from solely being a copper exporter. And they had a lot of volatility in the mid 20th century having to deal with this. It wasn't really till when the Chicago Boys came around in the late 70s and the early 80s and a series of reforms turned the Pinochet regime, which is what really shifted Chile's trajectory from being a rather poor Latin American country to the wealthiest and most economically developed country in Latin America. Chile's G per capita on normal basis is about uh, 16 um, thousand dollars per per year um, actually now as of 2023 that's gone up to about 17,827 and on a per capita basis it's 29,613 on a purchase power parity uh, the thing is though the threshold usually for a first world country is about 30,000 in 2008 US dollars, so maybe in today's USD, the threshold is maybe up to 35 or 36 thousand dollars per year. So it's not quite there yet, but it was the first country 
in Latin America to be admitted into OECD, which is the the Organization of Cooperation Economic Development, which has a reputation of being the club of developed countries, and it's kind of a sign that you've made the big boys table. Uh, since then, um, Colombia and Costa Rica have joined um, in the early 2020s, but Chile was a decade before them. And also another sign of Chile being um, moving up the ranks in terms of being a more first world country, for lack of a better term, is that Chile is the only country in Latin America that has a visa waiver program with the United States for travelers from that country. Uh, visa waiver program is, allows tourists and business people from certain countries that the U.S. doesn't think as a high risk of um, overstaying visas to be able to come into the country for up to 90 days without a requirement for a visa. The countries that usually are in this category are Western Europe, Central Europe, Japan, and South Korea, and Australia, and New Zealand, and Chile is one of those too. So they've made a lot of progress. Uh, the reforms that the Chicago Boys made, including having a almost fully privatized social security system, Outside of Cadelco, which is still owned by the state, they did a lot of privatizations and denationalization of previously state-owned enterprises. They have a favorable tax and system. They have some of the strongest property rights, especially for foreigners of any Latin American country. And they also have a favorable uh, business regulatory environment that has been stable uh, even as the country democratized in the 1990s. And so as a result, Chile's economy has moved up on a much more positive and stable trajectory than its neighbors in South America who have struggled with economic populism in various shades of national flavors, whether it's Peronism in Argentina or radical leftism in Venezuela or the variety of experiments with economic populism in countries such as Peru Brazil and Colombia. So as a result, they've become a leader. Uh, but what about the future? Well, the Chilean model has really been tested the last several years. In 2019, uh, a rise in subway fares caused rioting throughout the country, particularly in Santiago, and led to a, a major pivot in Chilean politics to the political left and also demands to rewrite the constitution, which was drafted during the dictatorial era of Augusto Pinochet. Uh, and even during the election of who would be the writers and framers of the constitution, a two-thirds supermajority of far-left leaning uh, delegates won. And so they had veto-proof majority to write the constitution as they see fit. And Rafael Boric, who was elected in the next presidential election, was also one of the furthest to the left of Chilean presidents since Allende in the 1970s, and was also, I think, the youngest president in Chilean history at just 35 years old. Uh, since then, uh, the constitutional referendum to vote to approve the constitution written by this convention was put up the ballot last December and it was voted down by a 60 to 40 margin. And Rafael Boric has seen 
very low approval ratings right now politically, which put him at risk of becoming what is the, the Chilean version of Jimmy Carter. Uh, these, depending on your political views, are politically positive or negative, but on the perspective of the economy, they probably are on the net positive. Uh, investors had fled Chile, he's had a massive capital flight of domestic financial assets and currency reserves into the United States. You saw a lot of selling off so that like Chilean stock markets have declined on an, an earnings adjusted basis to cheapest levels in decades. Um, you've seen the Chilean peso free fall because of this and it spooked a lot of people. And so if you have a more reasonable, moderate constitution, which is being proposed by the new constitutional committee, which had, I think, a center-right majority being able to draft it. And I've read some of the proposals for this, and it just seems like a more moderate constitution. There are some compromises that are given to the address the concerns from the 2019 protests, but it doesn't fundamentally compromise the Chilean economic model, which has led to the relative success that they've had compared to their neighbors. And the ballot for that is coming in December. And as soon as that referendum gets voted on and is approved, then I think it will help restore investor confidence to Chile. And I think that the normalization of Chilean politics and the ability to democratically solve structural problems from uh, the dictatorship era through um, writing a new constitution and having it voted on by the majority of people in a free and fair way will kind of be a way to help the country grow and move onto its path of ever-increasing economic development to reach uh, the status of the truly rich countries in the world. So my overall view is actually very positive because I think the probability of these sensible reforms to deal with some of the political issues that have been scaring investors in the market out of Chile will be resolved in a uh, in a positive way. Uh, copper is still going to continue to be an important asset for infrastructure, even if China's economy is not growing as fast as claimed. Electrification of the auto fleet and as well as onshoring of manufacturing away from China to Southeast Asia, to back to the United States, to Mexico, and domestically in European markets, there's going to be a lot of construction demand needed to rebuild these factories that were previously abandoned or demolished when things were globalized away to Asia. Outside of politics, assuming that the constitutional crisis gets resolved as I expected to, the biggest challenge really for Chile is a lack of economic diversification. Uh, Chile is still heavily dependent on natural resource exports, especially copper and lithium. However, they have started to develop other aspects of their economy. Uh, first of all, they've become a major exporter of fruits and vegetables across the world. And the main reason for this is because Chile has a relatively mild climate, similar to the west coast of North America. Um, it's weather in the north, it's a hot desert, and then if you go south, it becomes more like the Pacific Northwest. And the result of that is that Chile is able to grow a lot of fruits and vegetables that are commonly grown in North America 
in the summer months in the winter and vice versa because it's in the southern hemisphere you could take advantage of having the opposite uh, seasonal patterns of North America to be able to provide fresh relatively fresh fruits and vegetables to the North American market when those fruits and vegetables are normally not in season so like you see all the, you can go to the grocery store a lot of grapes particularly are imported from Chile off-season and the other thing Chile is trying to develop too is tourism. Uh, it's not all the way there yet, but Chile does have some unique tourist attractions that um, are still worth going to. I mean, just based on, this reminds me of my story really when it comes to Chile. I remember when I flew to Chile, I actually sat next to a businessman who was responsible for inventing certain preservatives that made it easier to ship fruits from Chile up to uh, North America without going bad. And then once I got to Chile, um, I actually enjoyed it. And about six years ago, I'm gonna show some pictures in this video. I main highlight was going to uh, Algarobo on the coast, which has one of the world's biggest swimming pools. I think it's been surpassed by one in, um, in Egypt, but it still was almost three kilometers in length and i think it over half a kilometer wide it was um it was why it was big enough that you could sail a boat in it and people swam in this pool more than the ocean even though it was right on the beach because similar to um, the pacific northwest uh, the currents in chile make the south pacific ocean particularly cold and so even when i went which was late summer it was the water was still as cold as swimming in a place like San Francisco so you definitely preferred going into the into the giant swimming pool versus the ocean and um, Chile also in Santiago has Los Condes which is one of the few remaining flow barrel machines that I think is still active and so if you like giant waves that are stationary that's another attraction for Chile and then Old Town Santiago has a lot of interesting historical sites and it's kind of an interesting mix of like Latin America but on the verge of kind of developing to be more like a North American city. It even had its own like mini version of like the Hollywood Hills and Beverly Hills style neighborhoods when I walked around there. Um, overall I think it's an underrated travel destination and you should visit sometime but the thing is, is that, and they're also trying to develop like a more of a tech startup scene and have more manufactured goods and other exports. But despite all that, they still have a heavy concentration, both in terms of raw exports and in terms of government revenues, heavily dependent on copper. And that's going to remain, I think, the big risk to Chile. And last but not least, I always like to compare these countries to a, a U.S. state of similar size of the economy. And the one that stood out in this video is comparing Chile to Oregon. Uh, I picked Oregon because the economies are similar in size. Chile's economy is about $320 billion, whereas Oregon's is about $299 billion, so they're fairly close in size. And Chile, a lot of the climate in the southern half of Chile is very similar to the Pacific Northwest, particularly Oregon. And like Chile, Oregon used to be 
a region of the world that was heavily dependent on natural resources expert sorts and has since diversified. Uh, Oregon originally their main economic driver was timber and fishing but particularly the logging industry and then the environmentalist movement along with just um, more favorable places to get wood and other building materials that made wood less of a component for um, modern building techniques really kind of hurt the Oregonian economy, particularly the Eastern Oregonian economy, which was heavily dependent on this. And whereas the Western Oregon economy focused more on high technology and um, other types of industries. And this political tension really between the natural resource and agricultural dependent East and the technology and service sector focused West and their desire for more environmental protections still causes tension today in the state of Oregon. And Chile has, except instead of timber, it's copper. And they are trying to work to diversify their economy. And they're starting to see political tensions between Greater Santiago, where about half the population of Chile lives, versus the rural areas, which are more dependent on resource extraction. So it's actually kind of a, a similar uh, tension going on in these two places. But in terms of the numbers, uh, Chile has a GDP per capita of uh, about, again, 18,000 nominal, 29,000 in terms of PPP, whereas compared to Oregon, which is the 25th biggest economy in the United States, has a GDP per capita of 70,000 USD per year. So um, it's about almost quadruple that of, of Chile. And then population-wise, uh, Oregon is considerably less populated than Chile. Chile has about 19.4 million people, whereas Oregon has about a fifth of that. At, oh, sorry, a fourth of that, at 4.3 million people. Uh, Chile has a considerably higher unemployment rate than Oregon, a 7.8 versus um, about 4% for Oregon. Uh, they both surprisingly have similar export figures, but actually Oregon has about 50 billion more in exports than Chile, and also has about 40 billion more in imports than Chile. Uh, the other kind of fun fact really is Fortune 500 companies. Chile actually has a lot more global 500, Fortune 500 companies than, than Oregon. Oregon really only has two. That's Nike, which is number 34 in the global Fortune 500, and Precision Cast Parts, which is in the 400s, are the only two Fortune 500 companies in Oregon. But Nike is a global titan that has significant influence around the world. And then really you compare that to Chile, Chile has five companies in the global fortune 100. Uh, the biggest one is SQM, which is a major lithium miner. Uh, the NL Americas is an electric utility based in Chile is also on that list, along with the Banco de Chile, which is the largest commercial bank in Chile. Empresas Copec, which is a um, 
natural resource conglomerate, which does have some retail exposure, but it's mainly forestry and energy-related services, and Quineco, which is another conglomerate based in Chile. So those are the five Fortune 500 companies in Chile. Uh, and also, the other thing noteworthy of that is that all of Chile's companies in the Fortune 500 um, all have a ranking of 389 or lower. They have none in the top 300. Uh, but yeah, that's my comparison. I mean, even though they're on opposite sides of the world, north to south, of similar uh, economic structures kind of have surprisingly a lot more similarities to places that you think would be a lot different. If you like this content, feel free to like, share, subscribe, and let me know what your thoughts are on the economic of Chile. Are you optimistic as me that Chile is going to get back onto its pre-constitutional crisis path? Or is, are you more pessimistic and there are some economic risks that I am not considering? Or do you just simply think that copper is going to structurally be a lower price and also just less demanded than in previous decades? I'd love to hear what your thoughts are in the comments on this and thank you for watching.